This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the highlight of the entire civilization. It's called Coffee with Scott Adams, and if you didn't think it could get any better, surprise. It's whiteboard day. Yes, we will have a whiteboard in which I'll connect the uh, seemingly different fields of politics, artificial intelligence, the simulation, and Twitter. Yeah, I'll do all that today. And in order for you to be primed and ready for that, this mind-blowing experience that is the simultaneous sip and coffee with Scott Adams, you're going to need to get ready. And all you need to be ready for this amazing, amazing experience is a cup or mug or a glass of tanker, gels of stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure. It's the dopamine of the day. It's the thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip, and it happens now. Go. That, ladies and gentlemen, is amazing. I'd like to start with a uh, helpful uh, tip. Have you ever bought anything on Amazon? Well, if you have, and you've bought more than one thing, you may have run into a situation I run into often. It's called the scale problem. As in, I think I'm buying a big old bag of something, and it shows up like it's a free sample. How many times has that happened to you? You, know, you buy a chair for your living room, and it shows up, and it's, like a, it's a Barbie chair. You're like, eh, you know, that looked like a real chair. In my defense, I did not check the specs. It looked like a chair. It said a chair. I bought the chair. It just happened to be two inches tall. Well, this brings me to my recent purchase, which should have been about this tall, about this wide, the big one. But when you look at the little picture, it looks exactly the same. And so I suggest the following human interface improvement for Amazon. Jeff Bezos, if you're listening... I suggest this. In any situation in which there might be any potential ambiguity about the size and scale of of an object, it is not good enough to include it only in the description, which you must click. You must also have a human hand in the picture, preferably the same human hand. Because if this had a human hand in it, I would know exactly how big it was every single time. And how hard is it to put a hand in a picture? Not very hard. You can even digitally add it just nearby. Hand, picture. So please, user interface developers at Amazon, who are, by the way, some of the best in the world. Uh, Amazon has some of the best user interface. But that one thing, that one thing bites me in the ass about one time in five, probably, literally. I I just get some weird size. Uh, All right. Uh, you know, lately, if you've been watching my live streams, you know that I've uh, 
been adding quite a bit to civilization. Uh, I've had insightful comments uh, ranging from, oh, I don't know, geopolitics, you know, one of my many fields of expertise, Uh, the supply chain where I've, you know, wasn't an expert until just a few weeks ago. Now I am. And, of course, the global economy is something that, you know, people like me know everything about. So while I've made these tremendous contributions to society, it seems that the only thing that got picked up by the media that I did in the last two weeks was the following tweet in which I tweeted, Madonna is transforming into Jar Jar Binks and no one is talking about it. Yes, of all the things I offered to this world, my many nuggets of wisdom, only one left the little bubble, which is this live stream, into the the larger world to make a dent. And it was that tweet. (laughs) Madonna is transforming into Jar Jar Binks and no one is talking about it. So that'll keep me humble for a while. All right. uh, In an ongoing trend, which you should watch very carefully, uh, you've heard me say this before, but the more that it happens, the story gets bigger, right? Which is that mushrooms are becoming mainstream almost instantly. There's something about 2022 that's happening that is hard to explain. But now the Washington Post has a story that a headline says, psychedelics may ease cancer patients, depression, and anxieties. You know, quote, uh, these drugs were banned decades ago. My clinical trials suggest they might have a meaningful positive effect in treating mood issues. It's happening. I don't think those of you who have had no, let's say, experience with mushrooms, I don't think you know how big this is. This is just about the biggest story in the world. You know, obviously the economy and and war and viruses are big stories. But in terms of our, uh, uh, let's say, our subjective experience of life, this is the biggest story. This is deeply transforming of humanity. I mean, I'm not sure anything's going to be the same after this. And you don't have to get everybody on mushrooms. That's not necessary. You just have to get the right people on mushrooms. <laughs> right? Not everybody. You just got to get the right people on them. You know what I mean? Let me ask you this. Do you think Putin has done mushrooms? Serious question. Serious question. How many of you think Putin has done mushrooms? I would bet a very large sum of money is not. Because you know what? You don't find yourself in this situation if you had. And again, people who have experience with this say, are saying, oh yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. And those who don't have experience are saying, I don't even understand what that means. Like, how, how do you know he hasn't done mushrooms? Do you know how I know Putin hasn't done mushrooms? Because he wouldn't be Putin if he had. <laughs> it, it would have fundamentally rewired him. Like he'd be playing, uh, he, he, yeah, he exactly. It's an ego killer. Uh, Russia, especially with Putin at the helm, has is suffering almost a personality disorder. That they have to own Ukraine and they have to subjugate people and they have to be awesome. They have to protect their egos and Russia's history and you know the Russian people. Blah 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 blah. blah. You take mushrooms once, that all goes away. <laughs> It all goes away. And then you start thinking, well, what would make everybody happy? And if I made everybody happy, would that work out for me too? Probably. 
<laughs> Probably. So suddenly everything is different. Yeah, the mushrooms changes everything. Might be world peace. Um, and by the way, I don't recommend that you try mushrooms. Let me be clear, because this is a public forum, and who knows who's watching. I do not recommend any illegal drugs. Talk to your doctors only. Um, I'm going to give you a little tip that may completely change the lives of some of you. This is one of my favorite thing, things to do. And I'm going to make my claim really small so that it's not some ridiculous overclaim. My claim is I'm going to give you a reframe that might uh, solve, I don't know, 1%, maybe less, maybe fewer, uh, of your mental problems. Maybe. I think about one out of 100 of you might just walk away from this live stream saying, okay, that just changed my life. All right? So I, I'm setting myself up for you know, a pretty, pretty high uh, bar. It goes like this. I'm going to start with this assumption, and then I'll give you the idea. The assumption is this, and I want to see if you'll agree with the, the starting premise, that we, we think other people think like us. Do you buy the first assumption? That all of us are, were biased by the belief that other people's brains are processing things somewhat similar to ours. All right, so that's the first assumption. I think you, I think you largely believe that we think they process like us. Now, the, the no's I'm seeing, I, I think you're maybe interpreting the question a little bit differently. Because um, we do know that people are different at the same time we think they're not, right? So we do hold two beliefs that are opposites at the same time. We hold the belief that people think like us and that we act on it. At the same time, we know it's not true. <laughs> we know people don't think the way we think, right? But you act like it, even though we know it's not true. So... That's the first part. That's the step. Um, and I'm going to be talking to people who feel uh, they have low self-esteem and that other people judge them poorly. Is there anybody watching who would fall into that category? You have low self-esteem and you believe other people are judging you. Quite a few, all right? Uh, that's a lot of yeses. <laughs> the yeses just start popping up on, on, the, on the locals platform. Now, not, a, not everybody, all right? All right, now here's the reframe, specifically for people who, who live in, let's say their reality is that they feel uh, they have low self-esteem or they feel worthless, and they feel other people judging them. Here's the reframe that fix it, fixes it. Stop judging other people. That's it. That's it. Stop judging other people. Do you know why? If you can train yourself to stop judging other people, which would take a while, you have to just keep reminding yourself not to do it. The, the trick that I use is that uh, I, ju- I literally believe that everybody has the same value because there's no such thing as some metric for judging your value. <laughs> you, know, you could say, who's more valuable for having a baby? Well, women you know, of a certain age and certain health situation. Um, but are they more valuable than everybody else? No, they, they fit a certain um, requirement, a need. You know, they're important in that way. But I don't fundamentally believe that anybody's worth more than anybody else, right? 
the law doesn't judge you that way unless you break the law. So if you could learn to simply talk yourself into not judging other people, do you know what would happen? In theory, in theory, if you stop judging other people reflexively and just train yourself, just don't think that way. Just everybody's equal. We're all the same. As soon as you do that, you're going to stop worrying about what they think of you. You know why? Because you can hold in your head two thoughts that don't make sense together. One is that you know everybody acts the same, and the other is that everybody thinks differently. We, we kind of hold them the same. But as soon as you see other people thinking like you do, if your view is that everybody is the same, and then you imagine that they have the same view as you, which they don't, but this is the trick, right? If you have a bias, and you know you do, if you have a bias toward thinking people do or should think the way you think, then change the way you think. Are you following it? If you change the way you think, it should change your subjective impression of what other people are thinking of you. I think 1% of you just got cured. Uh, I'm watching the comments come in on locals because they come in faster. And uh, people are having a good reaction to it. Now, uh, what would be the downside of trying it? Do you see any? Is there any downside of simply trying to judge other people less as your own solution to how you feel about other people thinking of you? There's no, there's no downside. Can you think of anybody who would say, no, you should be more judgmental about people's worth? <laughs> now, remember, I'm not telling you that you should embrace their choices. Not that. You can still disagree with their choices, of course. Just don't judge them. They're just you know people. Like We're, we're all the same, value-wise, in terms of value. All right. And I would say that as, as awesome as I often feel I am in some you know, narrow areas, I, I have good self-esteem about some specific things that I do or have done. But of all the things you could do in the world, the things that you could be good at, what percentage of all the things that a person can be good at am I good at? Like less than 0.001%? That's about as good as you can get. Like, if you, if you take the most awesome person, just think of your friend or maybe even somebody famous, who, whoever you think hits all the notes. Like, oh, that's a person who's really got it together. They can, they can do this and they can do that and they're this and that. Of all the things that people can do, what percentage can they do, <laughs> really? About 0.0001. Almost exactly the same as you. Like, if you look at it mathematically, nobody can do anything. I mean, it all rounds to zero. So to imagine that somebody else's 0.001 effectiveness in life is, is so much better than your 0.001, I mean, I guess it is mathematically, but not in a real way. So that should help some of you. Um, good news... The good guys win sometimes. Uh, do you remember the story of author Alex Epstein, who found out that the Wall Street Journal was planning a hit piece on him before his book uh, even came out? And uh, so 
he uh, actually organized a, uh, his book is called Fossil Future. And uh, I guess the Washington Post had come up with some kind of angle, maybe because they don't like a book that is, uh, let's say, not as anti-fossil fuel as they would like, you know what I mean? That they might try to suppress that kind of a book, especially if it's good. They don't try to suppress a book that's bad, do they? <laughs> bad in the sense that you won't want to read it. Nobody's going to write a whole article about a book nobody's going to read. So they're afraid of this book, clearly. There wouldn't be a hit piece on it unless they were afraid of it, in terms of it threatening the worldview which they present. So um, what, what followed was Alex Epstein quite brilliantly organized a number of blue check and other people on Twitter, and maybe other social media, I'm not sure, but on Twitter at least, and many of us had a dog in the fight, right? I certainly did. To me, this was personal. This was absolutely personal, right? I mean, I know Alex Epstein just from, you know, uh, digital contacts, but to me it was personal because I have been the subject of hit pieces and there's not much you can do about it. It's a pretty helpless feeling. So the fact that he was taking the fight to the Washington Post and found a way to actually get traction, which is organizing enough people to embarrass uh, them, preemptively embarrass them. The result was the article did come out. It was delayed, um, how long? Delayed a week, I think. And, the, and when it did come out, they had removed 90% of the bad content, you know, the, the hit piece content, uh, including, any, <laughs> including any allegation that when he was 18 year old, years old, he wrote something that somebody thought was racist. If you looked at it, it wouldn't be, right? It isn't. But that's the way things get framed. Completely gone. The, the main thing that he was concerned about was the, I would say, inappropriate allegation that just didn't, didn't make sense in a good world, right? Like, you, you have to live in a bad world for that kind of thing to exist, those accusations. And... Uh, he did what I've never seen anybody do. He actually preemptively took out a hit piece. <laughs> That's pretty hard to do. I mean, maybe some billionaires done it by money and threats or something, but uh, I've never seen a regular person, you know, an author do it before. That's the first. And I wonder if there's any kind of... Uh, is this telling us there's any kind of shift in power? Because I've been telling you that, that the... Um, the power of the internet dads or just the, you know, the people who have some credibility on Twitter is growing, and it's, it's pretty important. <clears throat> I think this really uh, is sort of a turning point in uh, understanding where power lies in society. Um, I'm going to tie together a few stories in ways that will amaze you. So keep in mind that story. Uh, about the press and about uh, Alex Epstein. So, because we'll circle back to some things. So I've talked about this before, but it's more relevant today. They, do you remember when PayPal was uh, started? PayPal had a little group of people who went on, several of them, to do bigger things than PayPal. So, for example, Peter Thiel, uh, I believe, was one of the early uh, financiers for Facebook. So Peter Thiel saw the the potential of Facebook really early. Became a billionaire, uh, in part because of that. Reid Hoffman, who was part of that PayPal group, he founded LinkedIn, 
which is effectively uh, you know, an online resume, but it's a social network as well. So kind of weird that two of the PayPal people would later go on to have you know, major influence on what became social media networks. And now Elon Musk, one of the PayPal originals, uh, is buying into Twitter, which again shows at least his appreciation and understanding of social media in a way other people don't. Now, what, is the, what are the odds that three of the people from this one company, which is often talked about as being special in some way, have all had major influence on social media platforms specifically? Not just going on to do other unicorns, but social media platforms. And I ask, what is it that made PayPal work? Because I've never understood how the original digital money products ever got anybody to trust them. They weren't a bank. They were a startup. How, do, how does like a startup of nobodies get you to put their, you know, trust you with their money? How did that ever happen? Because the hard part wasn't the technology, I'm guessing. I'm guessing the hard part was convincing people to use it. How the hell did they do that? I mean, really. <laughs> That's one of the most uh, impressive untold stories, or maybe it's in some book or something, but I've never heard it. So I say that because there's something extra going on with all of those PayPal founders. And what I mean is, here's what it looks like from the outside. Right? So this is just my speculative outsider's view of what it looks like. It looks like they all learn to engineer comprehensively. And what I mean by that is people sometimes engineer a product, but they don't engineer the human who's using the product. There's something about the interface or the way it's used or how it touches our minds that's incomplete. What's different about PayPal and then Facebook, LinkedIn, and now Twitter is that all of them have found an interface that connects the product right to your brain. Product directly connected to your brain. What does that make you think of? Uh, Elon Musk's other product, right? Neuralink where you'll have actually you know, chips in your head, potentially, someday. So connecting the product directly to the brain and treating it as though it's one system, you're going to say, well, everybody does that. They all, they all consider the human user, and they all consider the product. But nobody does it like they do it. Nobody has done it in a way that you can't stop using the product. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody's come close to the effectiveness that, that these folks have in understanding the brain-product interface. Keep that in mind, because it's going to come back today. All right? um, here's an interesting question about Elon Musk, since he's in the news a lot. Why do conservatives like him so much? Do you ever wonder about that? Because I'm pretty sure he's never labeled himself a conservative. I'm pretty sure he's never labeled himself a Republican. What is it that makes people like him? And if I told you that there's somebody who started the biggest electric car company, would you say, well, there's somebody conservatives are going to love because he's, he's all about the green stuff and climate change? It doesn't really make sense, does it? But he's, he's very much embraced. Let me tell you what I think it is. And this, you could take this just as a compliment to conservatives because it's one that I feel, because I feel the same thing. I do not identify as conservative, don't identify as Republican, 
And I feel that I'm fully embraced by conservatives all the time. And I think it's the same reason, or at least there's some similar reasons. And it goes like this. Let's just take uh, uh, Elon, for example. Uh, oh, and also he's an immigrant. <laughs> so every, every uh, stereotype you should imagine about conservatives or Republicans, he sort of violates, I don't know, some of the biggest ones, right? And yet uh, he's widely liked. So here's what I think it is. Number one, I've never seen him disrespect Republicans or conservatives. Agree or disagree? I've never seen it. Have you ever seen him disrespect Republicans or conservatives? And you, you could say almost everybody's done that. <laughs> almost everybody's done that. If, if they're on the left. And if they're on the right, you, even the people on the right uh, insult themselves. Conservatives fight with each other, right? But I've never seen him disrespect anybody on the right. Now, has he ever disrespected anybody on the left? Well, he's going after wokeism a little bit, hasn't he? Right? Yeah, I feel like he has. Now, that doesn't mean he is associated with the right. It could mean that he's more bothered by something he sees somewhere else. It doesn't mean he's associated with one side. Right? Bill Maher talks more about the problems on the left lately, but it doesn't make him on the right. Um, here's some other things. He, Musk, as I just talked about with the PayPal people, he incorporates human motivation and psychology into his systems. Who does that sound like? Somebody builds a system, and in his case it's more like a product that's supported by various systems. But who is most like that? Well, that's conservatives, Republicans. They, they consider human motivation when they design a system, which is, well, you know, if we build a system where we just give you stuff, what's the human motivation? Take the stuff and not work. All right. So I think conservatives appreciate him for understanding that if you forget about the human motivation, you get everything wrong, like Democrats often do with their systems. Um, the next thing is that he's transparent about both his thinking process and his motivations. Wouldn't you say? Do, do you ever think to yourself, I think he has a hidden agenda? I guess people say that about all billionaires. But it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> it doesn't feel like he has some hidden agenda because I feel like he tells you exactly what he wants and then he does it in public. It's, it's pretty clear, right? So people like that, just in general, people like transparency. He shows his work, right? And obviously he likes freedom, uh, so that, that binds him to the right, even if he's not associated with the right. He just likes freedom and free speech. And he also works harder than most people. Have you ever seen a conservative dislike somebody who works as hard as Elon Musk? You could do almost everything else wrong from a conservative's point of view, as long as you're obeying the law. You, know, you have to get that right. But if you're obeying the law and you're working I don't know, 14 hours a day or whatever the hell he was doing, 18 hours a day, conservatives kind of like you because you work hard. It's pretty basic. It's not hard to be liked by the right. And... And he has lots of kids. <laughs> what does he have? Six or seven kids. Conservatives like that. You know, family-oriented. In his own way. And, and I think his family situation is completely non-standard. And still, still, conservatives embrace him. So here's the message from this. 
we're, we're locked into a world in which we think the only way you can run for office is to be totally one thing or totally the other thing. You're either a Republican or you're a Democrat. I think Elon Musk proves that if you were smart about it, you wouldn't have to be on a team. That you could get the other team to like you easily. Respect them. <laughs> uh, give, give some you know, appreciation to what it is that they want. Like freedom. Be transparent. Outwork them. Right? How hard would it be? You, you can have very different opinions from conservatives and still have a lot of them. A lot of them say, you know, damn it, I don't like all your policies, but I love the way you're treating everything. Like, I, I love the way you approach it, even if I don't, I'm not on the same page with your solution. You, you, could, you could totally get people to switch sides if you played it right. All right. Now, I tweeted the other day, and uh, I said I didn't know if uh, Twitter was already changing its algorithm to you know, maybe sweep things under the rug before Elon Musk gets a look at the algorithm. And I wondered if my uh, engagement and number of followers per day was going up because of that. But then somebody pointed out that Elon Musk had liked one of my tweets, which would also explain why my number of new users went up. So today it's still up, over 1,000 new users today, which is about, I don't know, five or ten times normal. So, but that, that could still be the, the spillover from the one tweet. So the tweet he liked was this one. And this is really telling. This actually should be the biggest story in the news, but it's not. The biggest story in the news should be that uh, Musk liked this following tweet because it suggests that his mind is at least... If he hasn't decided this, at least it's compatible with how he's thinking. So here's the tweet he liked. I said, wait until Elon Musk starts looking under the hood at Twitter and finds out how the algorithm works. I said, that's coming, and it is going to be glorious. Now, he liked that. Now, does that not suggest that he plans to, or would like to, get access to the algorithm? That's everything. That's like the whole game. Civilization will be completely changed if he gets access to that algorithm, <laughs> I think. I think it's that big. And it looks like, you know, by the, by the fact that he liked the tweet, it looks like he at least has some impulse in that direction. Don't know if he can do it. Don't know what will come of it. But he liked it. So, so he's not disagreeing with the notion that him looking at the uh, algorithm would be maybe interesting. We're also hearing that Twitter is working on an edit button. That makes sense to me in the Elon Musk era of Twitter because the edit button um, does add some, let's say, clarity to things, doesn't it? Now, I do think the edit button should be constructed this way. If you edit something, it should be shown as an edit, and you should be able to swipe that edit and see the original. It should be that easy. It should just be a swipe. If you, if, you, if you can engineer it easily. Now, I don't even want to have it a link. Because you, you know how Instagram has the, the swipe model? You can tell they're in... Amazon does it too. Where there's uh, little dots at the bottom of a picture, so you know there's some more pictures if you just swipe in that direction. If you, if you could swipe it and see the original, that's a good edit to me. I'd also like... I would also like a notification sent to everyone who interacted with it if it gets edited. 
with one exception. If you go to edit your own tweet, it should give you a choice to say, are you editing for, let's say, grammar? It might be a better way, way to express it. Or, or content. In other words, are you changing the content? If you say you are changing the content, for whatever reason, doesn't matter the reason, then everybody who interacted with it gets a, a notice with the new content. And this is an edit. How about that? I mean, you can do that, right? And because the problem is that people see the fake news and they don't see the correction. It's one of the biggest problems on the Internet, right? But you could fix that by making sure that every person who saw bad news that, that got corrected sees the correction. Just the system does it. You interacted with it, you get the correction. Now, immediately you can see that the edit button is way more than a user interface. Am I right? As soon as I said this, did you suddenly connect that this isn't just about how easy it is to edit things? It's about free speech. It's about mind control. Because if the edit process allows people to uh, rethink what they may have believed on first look, which the current process doesn't. Right now you look at something and you, you never know it's corrected. You just move on. So this, is, this gets to transparency. It gets to um, brainwashing. It gets to fake news. This is like deeply, deeply important. <laughs> and it's happening coincidentally the same time Elon Musk buys 9.2% of Twitter. On April 1st, Twitter said it was working on an edit button literally as an April Fool's joke. April 1st. Like, was that uh, not too long ago, right? <laughs> and suddenly, Elon Musk buys 9.2% of it, and now it's real. Now it's suddenly real. They're really working on an edit button. I feel like that might have been a recent change, right? Who knows? Uh, it's also possible that part of, part of Twitter thought it was a joke and part of it uh, was actually working on it. <laughs> and the other part didn't know about it. That's possible. Um, all right. So here's how you fix everything in the world. Let me tie everything together for you. You buy 9.2% of Twitter to gain influence over it. You don't need to buy the whole company. You just have to buy enough to get a board seat and influence. Then you introduce, uh, you use that influence to introduce algorithm transparency. Let everybody see the algorithm and maybe even uh, Jack Dorsey's plan of choosing your own algorithm based on what you prefer. Um, once, uh, once the algorithm is transparent, uh, you've created the first unbiased platform, right? It wouldn't be biased by the algorithm. Uh, people would just be getting what they wanted. Now, of course, that could be its own bias, but in theory, you could have a more unbiased platform. And here's why that changes everything. Whiteboard time. It's whiteboard time. Here's how everything in the world works. <laughs> All on one whiteboard. Uh, Twitter is like the user interface to the simulation. In other words, Twitter is the, the lever that ultimately, through its connections, makes us think the way we think and imagine a reality the way we imagine it. And it works this way. Journalists are all on Twitter. Uh, I, when I speak in absolutes, you can adjust it in your head to, well, he means most of them. So most journalists are on Twitter. 
And uh, journalists are the ones who create the narrative, and the narrative is what programs the citizens. In other words, changes everything. If you can program the citizens differently, or better, more effectively, more honestly, perhaps, you get a whole different outcome. So now, Elon Musk now has some kind of control, we don't know how much yet, on Twitter. That means that he will be feeding journalists potentially. Potentially. We don't know this yet. But he could be feeding them for the first time something like accurate news. Imagine a journalist who is reporting fake news on television while Twitter is accurately allowing people to see what's true. Because that's not the case. (laughs) The case right now is that people watch Democrat news and then they go to Twitter and they see Democrat tweets. So there's nothing to check their work. And it's the same the other way, right? Republicans watch Republican news and then they go watch Republican tweets. But what if the algorithm could be tweaked so that people could actually see reality across bubbles? Can Elon Musk, a member of the PayPal originals, one of the three people we know understands human motivation and how the, the wiring of the brain and the wiring of the device have to be considered one system in a way nobody else ever has as effectively, can he create a situation where journalists would be, and here's the key, embarrassed, embarrassed to tell biased stories on television? I think he can. I think that's within the the doable range. And once you get a situation where a journalist can't go on another platform and lie because they will be devoured on Twitter for lying. By their own team, by the way. I'm not talking about uh, Republicans yelling at, you know, uh, Jim Acosta, right? I, I don't think Acosta cares how many Republicans are mad at him, but I'll bet he cares how many Democrats hear that his story is fake. Am I right? Because that would hurt. So if you can create a such situation where the journalists are embarrassed into telling the truth, and you would only need one major platform to do that, and Twitter is the one that journalists are pretty much stuck on. They're not going to leave Twitter. Uh, that changes the narrative. That changes the citizens. The citizens can change anything. And so this story is way bigger. The, the, the Elon Musk buys 9.2% of Twitter is way, way bigger than you think it is. And and here's the cool thing about it. Musk believes in the simulation. Or at least he talks about it a lot. We don't don't know his internal thoughts. But he talks about the simulation being the most likely explanation of reality. And I, I also embrace that same idea. And I have this impression that when you embrace the idea that you are living in a simulation and that we're literally software, you can start to see the machinery. And I don't know how much of it is an illusion, probably all of it, but you get the sense that you can start seeing like how to reprogram it from the inside. And that feels like what all the, all the PayPal people can see. I feel like they see themselves in the simulation, but they can also see the code and they can reach in and tweak it. Musk is doing that with Twitter. The, the code that holds our illusion of reality together is what we collectively see in the media. He figured out how to control it <laughs> through Twitter. 
Now, Jeff Bezos took over the Washington Post and got you know, a big voice. But the Washington Post is subsidiary. No, not subsidiary. Is, uh, is lower in the chain of influence than Twitter. Twitter affects all journalists. Washington Post just has a few. So whoever controls Twitter controls the Washington Post. So if you're watching your billionaire chess, uh, uh, Elon Musk just took uh, one of Bezos' uh, pieces off the board because he's now at a higher level of influence than any of the organs below it, including the Washington Post. Um, In other news... Uh, I asked on Twitter if I could get a uh, black American cartoonist to help me design a black cast member for the Dilbert comic. Now, I have forever wanted to have a more diverse cast because all the usual reasons, right? You, you want to attract other... Um, you want more, more of the public to like your product. So why wouldn't I put people in there that would attract more customers? So, of course, I've always wanted to have more diversity in the cast. And the reason I didn't do it is I couldn't figure out how. I couldn't figure out how. Because if I put diverse characters in a strip and give them character flaws, which is you have to because it's a comic, if the characters don't have flaws, they're not funny. Imagine me... Listen, I have a character right now, Wally. He's a, a white character with six strands of hair. Now, his defining characteristic is that he's lazy. He doesn't do work. Could I have introduced a minority character and given that character any kind of a, a, a defect like the Wally character? Nope. No way I could get away with that. How about my Alice character? She's defined by her you know, uh, easily angered kind of tough attitude. Imagine if I put that exact attitude into a minority character. Suddenly I'm in trouble, right? But these are just universal qualities that everybody has in, in every group. There's no group who doesn't have an angry person, a lazy person, etc. Right? But because of my situation and the way the world works, I can't do the thing everybody wants. Like, you know, not everybody, but, but the world wants me to be more diverse, I think. And I, I, I appreciate the impulse. Makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing some super racist things in the comments. But because they're funny, they, they don't bother me as much. <laughs> I've told you that rule, right? That you can be pretty offensive if you're also funny. Like, people will, will accept that balance. But if it's not funny, it's just racist. <laughs> it's just racist if it's not funny. Uh, so, anyway, I guess that was done well in this case. So, um, I started writing for this character because... Uh, I, I hit on an angle that I think I can make work. And I'm going to preview it for you. So before it appears in Dilbert, and I'm not sure it will, I've already written them, and they will get drawn, but they might not run. <laughs> you know, by the time my editor takes a look at it and somebody has a conversation with me, and you know, they might not run. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce the black character, and the character is going to have uh, one interesting let's say, personality characteristic. The black character will identify as white. And it's going to cause a huge problem for everybody. Do you know why it's a problem? 
because he was hired for uh, the diversity targets, but he refuses to identify as black. He is black, but he refuses to identify. And then here's the second level. You'll never know if he's joking. That's the second level. You don't know if he's just fucking with the boss because it makes everybody uncomfortable. So I think the character will be somebody who is having fun with the fact that people are getting uncomfortable with the way he chooses to identify because it just screws everything up. Nothing works. right? Now, I think I can make that work. <laughs> somebody says cringe. Does anybody else think that? So there's so one comment that says cringe. I think it's actually a good, a good uh, angle. Because right? here's the thing. It, it's, you haven't seen it before, as far as I know. It would be fresh, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to not pander, isn't it? That's, that's the thing I wanted to avoid. From a, a creative perspective, it would be easy to pander. It would make the audience happy. But it's just too icky. Like, I, I, I want to I treat the character respectfully while, you know, while highlighting you know, something irregular. <laughs> uh, I've told you before that uh, the, the sign of a good comedy approach is if the, uh, the setup makes you laugh. You haven't even heard the punchlines. So the joke has, isn't even present, but you just hear the situation and you're already laughing. So that's one of these, where it, it's easy to write to because the situation itself is fun. That's your uh, humor tip of the day. All right, here's a question for you. Given that we know uh, Democrats believe they will lose in the upcoming elections, 2022 and probably 2024, what are they going to do about it? It seems like they need a nuclear option. Am I Right. Because all of the normal things that Democrats do, they don't really look like they're going to work. And I think the nuclear, nuclear option, um, I'm, not, I'm not talking about cheating in the elections, I think the nuclear option is going to be a new hoax. And my God, it's going to be a big one. So I'm going to predict that the, the next hoax will be bigger than anything we've seen. And just crazier. Because they've got to get bigger than Russia collusion, January 6th insurrection hoax, the fine people hoax, drinking bleach hoax, the Russian bounty in Afghanistan hoax. I mean, they have a lot of hoaxes that sort of set the, uh, set the quality expectation for hoaxes. I feel like they've got to take it up a level. And what the hell is that going to look like? I mean, this is stuff that Democrats actually believed. Democrats believed all of this. <laughs> like everything I just listed, they actually believed it all. Yeah, they believed that, uh, Democrats believed that Black Lives Matter was an organic movement and it wasn't about somebody funding people. <laughs> they believed everything. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that Republicans don't also believe things that aren't true, but uh, it's re- less relevant to this question because the Democrats need a hoax whereas the Republicans don't. Do you know what the Republicans need to win? Play it as straight down the center as you can. Just talk about reality. Reality is all the Republicans need to get elected, but the Democrats can't get elected based on reality. That option is gone. I guess this is the best way to say it. 
Republicans can definitely get elected based on reality. Right? Anybody disagree? That the polls and, and just the facts we all observe are just so clear at this point that all you need us to do is tell the truth. Just be straight with the American people and how, how could you fail to get elected at this point? Right? But the Democrats can't use transparency because that would work against them. The only thing they have is a bigger hoax. It's all they have. And ordinarily, you, it would be hard to predict they could outdo the Russia collusion hoax, but they have to. <laughs> they have to. They don't have any other play, except losing, I suppose. So uh, I predict that the next hoax is going to be magnificent. Just magnificent. China collusion hoax, yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right. China's in lockdown, 23 uh, cities. Uh, so over 193 million people have some form of lockdown, and they represent 22% of China's GDP are in some form of lockdown, according to brokerage firm Nomura. Uh, however, I, I loved something about this story, which is the, the resilience of humans. People are really damn resilient. <laughs> and maybe not every one of us, but collectively, my God, we can adjust to stuff fast. Uh, apparently in China, since there's lockdowns, but they don't want the banking system and everything to collapse, there are a bunch of people who have uh, put tents next to their cubicles to keep the banking system open. So they literally live, they live on the floor next to their cubicle because they have to, to keep the country running. And now I think we would have done that here. I think in America, if you had to, you know, if you didn't have any other choice, I think we would have pitched tents next to cubicles too. But I just love how, how uh, I don't know, spunky people are. <laughs> they'll, they'll do anything to keep the system working. Or, or work for home. Yeah, I don't know that banks always have a work for home option because of security. That may have changed, though. Somebody do a fact check on me. Yeah, back in the old, old days you sort of had to be on site for some of the highest security stuff. Has that changed? Maybe it's changed with better security systems. I don't know. Uh, banks work from home now, but every job in the bank? I, I feel as if... Uh, there's secures way, there are secure ways of logging in now remotely. There should be. Yeah, okay. Well, let's assume they could have worked for home, so I have no idea why they're sleeping in tents. Um, so we learned today that the Biden administration is giving free phones to illegal immigrants. What's your first reaction to that? Free phones to illegal immigrants. My first reaction was I thought it was a joke. <laughs> did you? The first time you saw it, did you think it was real? Well, they're not giving phones to illegal immigrants. Nobody would do that. It's real. It's real. Now, does anybody remember an idea I had about giving free phones to immigrants? Let's see if anybody can remember that. Um, So if you've been following me for a while, do you remember my idea for giving free phones to immigrants? Yeah. And... What did uh, Jen Psaki say was the reason for the free phones? To track them, and also to allow them to check back in. Is that good enough? 
Is that a good enough reason for you that they can track them? Well, they don't plan to deport them, so what's the point? <laughs> right? If you're not going to deport them, why do you even need to track them? Just to call them and tell them, to, hey, hey, really, I'll turn off your phone if you don't show up to the court appointment. I think they would let their phone be turned off. right? So I don't know how it works the way they've designed it. Let me tell you how I suggested designing it. The way I suggested it is that uh, the only way an illegal alien could be paid was if they had the phone and it had tracking on and the payments came digitally through that phone. Like it would have to be that phone, no other phone. Because if you said the only way you could get paid for your work is through the phone, maybe they'd keep them. And maybe that would be a way for people to get temporary workers and that the phone would act like a work visa. Right? So now you need a Republican administration to make this work. So if there was somebody who had the phone and they were just living here illegally and they weren't working or adding anything to the system, you know, then the Republicans could say, oh, well, we know where you are, and they go get you because they're tracking your phone. Wouldn't be much of that, I suppose. But I do think... So here's what I think. There's one thing I agree with AOC about, and I know you're going to hate this. If, if there's anything that would trigger you more than that, I don't know what it would be. There's one thing I agree with AOC about when it comes to defund the police and also the economy in general and capitalism. And you're not going to like it. She, she thinks that maybe we should just rethink the whole system from scratch. Generally speaking, I, I don't want to speak for her, but I think she says we should rethink capitalism, you know, rethink the criminal network system. Now, when she says that, what do we do reflexively? Her, her critics then say, well, if we're going to rethink it, let's think of the worst possible way to do it and then blame her for it, which is you know, what critics do. Okay, yeah, we'll rethink capitalism in the worst possible way that could never work, and we'll say AOC came up with it. Or we'll just get rid of the police and, and blame AOC for whatever happens. That's not exactly re-engineering the justice system. That's just getting rid of police. <laughs> that's, not a, that's no plan. So here's what I like about the phones as a, let's say, the, the seed of something that would be better than border control. Maybe the phones are your immigration control. Could you design a system where the phone became indispensable to the, uh, to the uh, illegal, let's call them, immigrants, which would actually be legal because we would develop a system for them to come into the country, add to our system, add to the system. So, so if money is coming through the phone, it means there's some employer that wants them. That means they're adding to the system, in, at least in that sense. Uh, and maybe there's some way to have you know, massive... Uh, inflows and outflows of people coming in seasonally, for example, for farm work. They come in, uh, they help us, we help them, they take their money back to Mexico, Mexico gets more money, good for them, right? So if you were, if you were going to rethink immigration completely, could there be a way that the, the, the phone idea sort of binds them to the country in a productive way? Don't know. But I, I, I think it's such a provocative idea that um, I'm sort of attracted to it, even though I don't know how you do it exactly. It just feels like there's something there. I don't know. Maybe not for every, every immigrant, but for some, 
Some who are coming in for work, specifically. Not, not the criminals, obviously. Um, have you ever thought of this, that uh, the only thing that holds our country together is racism? How do you feel the first time you hear that? The only thing holding America together is racism. Do you know why? There's a reason. See if you can come, come up with it before I tell you. Racism is the only thing that holds the country together. Here's the reason. If you didn't have racism, we would realize that it's a, a case of the rich against the poor, and that all the poor people are on the same team, and there's a shit ton of them. There's a lot of them, and they're all on the same team. Do you know why they don't know they're on the same team? Because of racism. <laughs> they think they're on a race team. They're not. Not really. If all the poor people said, hey, you know, uh, I get that there's you know, differences and discrimination. I get all that. That's real. But what if we poor people just all banded together and said, give us some shit. You rich people, we want to take your stuff because we, we have enough votes. The only thing that keeps the country together is that the rich have found a way through the media to convince people that their main filter should be uh, race. And as long as their main filter on life is race, they're, they're oblivious, just like a magic trick. It's a distraction so you don't see how the trick is done. The magic trick is it's always been about money. Dave Chappelle says exactly what I'm saying, except not exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> he uses different words. But he, the same message, that racism is a distraction from the actual, uh, you know, the actual inequality of our time, which is, which is uh, income or wealth. All right, uh, there's a weird story about a, some two people posing as federal agents and giving gifts to a number of Secret Service officers, including, like, apartments and, and high-powered weapons and, and spy technology and stuff. And uh, the, I'll just, I will just read the names of the two individuals who were captured pretending to be members of Homeland Security. Uh, you can make your own racist judgments about uh, who they might be working for. Okay? One of them is named uh, Arian Terhazadi, and the other is uh, Hader Ali. Now, um, if these two are working for any foreign country, I think that would narrow it down to probably a Middle East country. Um, Iran, I'm looking at you, but I don't know for sure. I'm not, I'm not even sure if those names specify the region, do they? Could you tell the region from the last names? I don't know if you could do that. Um, and we don't know if they're... I mean, they could just be Americans. So you know, don't, don't make any racist assumptions about their allegiances or their nationalities by their last names. Can we all agree with that? <laughs> I think we're all adult enough to know that the last names are a red flag but we're also adult enough not to just assume that you know, race is telling you something, right? Race doesn't tell you something. It might tell you where to look, and I guess that's racist enough, but uh, it doesn't tell you what their motivations are or where they came from. It doesn't even tell you they're Islamic. All right. Um, so we'll wait and see what's, what's what on that. All right, that, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, brings us to the conclusion of the best live stream that's ever happened. And I hope you enjoyed this breathtaking uh, romp.
from artificial intelligence, which I haven't mentioned yet, but I'm going to now, uh, through the simulation, through politics, through uh, it all. Let's talk about AI. Have you seen the new AI art that's being created? Apparently there is AI that can make you a perfect uh, image just by describing it in words. So if you say, for example, a monkey doing his taxes, which was one of the actual examples, the AI will draw you a picture of a monkey, not a picture, but like it looks real, like an actual monkey, uh, over a piece of paper, like struggling over his paperwork. You just have to describe it, and it draws the picture. And the, uh, and, and some of them are just like crazy, like your mind is blown, and they're actually pleasant to look at. So now imagine the AI can do art, because it is. It is doing art. And now imagine that the AI can rapidly test which of these two pictures is better. It just has a website, or maybe it's got some people who do this for it for money or whatever, and they just respond. Every, they'll get a notice say, oh, do you like the one on the left or the right? And they go, ah, the left. And that's all they do that day, just one person, one click. But there are lots of people doing lots of clicks. So AI immediately da, 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 goes through a bunch of iterations and finds out the best piece of art. You don't think artists are in trouble? As an artist, let me tell you that art is mostly a formula. It doesn't seem like it because you don't know how to do it. <laughs> I hate to tell you that. But the reason you think art is mysterious and you know, there's, there's some magic to the creative process is because you don't do it. If you do it, you see the machinery. Right? Uh, look, do a Google search on the six dimensions of humor. It's literally a formula for knowing that the humor is there or not. Like, I've just turned it into a formula, and I use it. So, uh, and everything else that I've done that has any creative element to it, eventually, you know, sometimes I start out intuitively, but eventually I can see the, the machinery. And I go, oh, I see what's happening now. When I follow this formula, it works. When I follow this formula, it doesn't. So that's the machinery. So, yeah, AI is going to take over art, and it's going to influence uh, your social media algorithms and everything else. It's all connected. And if you had to have somebody who sort of uh, has their finger on the user interface for reality, somebody who knows AI, somebody who knows social networks, somebody who knows how the human mind is, is interfacing with products, somebody who is so clever about these things, he or she might not even need a marketing department. That's kind of who I want to have their finger on that lever. So I think we might be in good shape, thanks to good people trying to make the world better and maybe making some money at the same time. Maybe making some money at the same time. Perfectly acceptable, as long as it's transparent and as long as uh, you know, he has the country's best interests in mind, and it looks like he does. So, on that note, um, on that note... Uh, I'd like to say goodbye to the YouTube people. I'm going to talk to the locals people a few more minutes, and uh, I think you'd agree. Um, (laughs) I think you'd agree. It's the best live stream you've ever seen. Bye for now.